We've, uh, we've been in First um, John of late, and we're actually finishing up like a three-part series uh, that we've been doing about knowing God. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, uh, what it means to know God. Um, and uh, we talked about Bo Jackson, who's, um, who was a, a really amazing sports star uh, in the early 90s. He, um, he knew uh, Nike's commercial was Bo Knows, Bo Knows Football, Bo Knows Baseball. And in in a similar way, we're called to know God. That's what knowing God is. It's in in the way that Bo Jackson knew football through time-tested experience of everything that there was of the game of football. Similarly, we're called to know God through time-tested experience of trusting him and loving his people. Last week, we talked about how that happens. Um... It was surprising, you know, you'd think that to know God, we've got to study about him, or, or we've got to um, worship him, or serve him, that those are the kind of the way, things that we think we can do to get to know God. And it turns out, actually, the way we know God is by just receiving his acts of gracious love and faithfulness to us. And, and as those acts of love, first, as we come to faith in Christ, and then as we begin to live life trusting him, and, and seeing how he blesses us and takes care of us, as we live that way, we start to trust him more and love his people more. It's a natural thing. It just happens. And yeah, sometimes God's acts of love are a little bit tough. We talked about um, me getting my wisdom teeth out last, last week. Uh, the r- traumatic experience for me is blood was flecking out of my mouth onto the face shield of the orthodontist. And, I, and in the middle of that, I was wondering, do my parents really love me? This doesn't seem like an act of love. This seems like an act of hate. And yet, as I was, you know, afterwards, when I kind of reflecting on it, I realized even though that was a hard thing, even though it was a painful thing, it was an act of love. And similarly, we go through things in our lives that are challenging, they're difficult, and yet in and through those things, God does love us, and he does bless us, and he does meet our needs with his people. And as that takes place over and over again, we come to trust him more and love his people more. This week, when we take a look at what John has to say, we're going to answer a final question, and that is why. Why does God do it this way? Why does God operate this way? And this is a pressing question, especially for those who are skeptical about faith. I have a friend, and he, um, he thinks that maybe there's a God, and, and if there's a God, that's cool. But if, if God's there, God walked away a long time ago. God doesn't care. And so my friend interprets everything that happens in this world as more or less just the result of random happenings. It's just kind of chaos. And sometimes the good stuff happens. Yay, I got lucky. And other times, tragic things happen, and we just kind of got to bite down and, and grin and bear it, because there's really no meaning to it. There's no purpose. It just is. Now, wouldn't it have been much better for God to say, you know what, let's not do it that way. Let's not, let's not you know, draw people along with, with acts of love and faithfulness. Instead, I'm just going to come down and be in front of everybody all the time, and I'm going to yell at you and tell you, hey, here I am, I'm God, believe in me, this is what we're doing now. Wouldn't that have been so much easier? Surely, surely that was a better way to go about what God's doing. Does God really have to do it this way? Is this how he chooses to bring us to know him? I think when we look uh, deeply today at what John has to say, we'll start to understand the logic behind why God operates this way. And I think we're going to get to see what we're called to do today, this week, and in this season of our church life in response to that. So read with me, if you will, um, from 1 John. 
John says, and you're probably sick of these first five verses by now, but in this we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So anyone who says, I have come to know him while disobeying his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that one. But the one who obeys his word truly in such a person, the love of God has reached its goal. And it's by this that we know that we're in him. This is a new verse today. The one who says, I am still in him, ought to walk just as he walked. I, it might be surprising, but I think if we just dig into that last phrase, um, ought to walk just as he walked, we're going to start to see the logic behind how God chooses to bring us to know him. Uh, that's an interesting word, um, walk. It's, uh, in Greek, it's peripateo. Uh, it gets used a lot of different ways. Um, one way that it, it gets used, and we'll see this in a second, is metaphorically. All right, it gets used metaphorically. Um, so the, I have a text here um, from, from Paul. Paul. This is how Paul uses the word a lot of the time in the New Testament. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Clearly, he's not talking about walking. Um, in like the, 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 the way. Uh, my, my daughter, um, she heard that song, uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. And so she goes like this, Hey, Daddy, what am I doing? And I'm like, you're walking like an Egyptian, which I think actually might be offensive because I don't think that Egyptians actually walk like that. Um, and so I'm wondering if we're teaching her to be, uh, I don't know, like, because that's like, political correctness is serious. I don't want to... I don't want to overstep. If, if we have an Egyptian person, I don't want them to feel offended by the way that I, my daughter thinks that they walk. Um, nevertheless, that would be, right? Is that what Paul's saying? Walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk? No. You could just easily plug in the word live, right? Live as the rest of the Gentiles live. Because if you tried to make it literal, then it'd be like walk and the futility, like they're confused. And so they're, they're walking confused or they're walking like this. No. This is talking about the way they live. Uh, another example of Paul doing something similar uh, is Romans. Um, he says, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Uh, he's talking about, like, if, if you're eating pork and your Jewish Christian friend gets stressed out about that, you shouldn't do that because you're not walking according to love. Well, clearly he's not talking about walking, right? He's talking about living according to love. And so that, this is a very common way of translating this word, peripateo. In fact, if you open up, if you have an NIV Bible, um, and you open up this very verse that we're looking at today, 1 John uh, 2, 6. It's going to say, uh, we ought to live as he lived. It's going to think that we're talking the way that Paul's talking here. That it's, it's metaphorical. And, and it doesn't really actually mean walking. It means living. I think there's something to that. But I think that's also really kind of backwards. And I, I want to show you, um, if you look in John, the way John uses this word in his writings. I'll take a few examples of how he uses this word, peripateo, this word walk. Uh, this is Jesus um, uh, speaking to Peter. He's telling Peter he's going to die, which is unfortunate. But most assur assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you or dress you and carry you where you do not wish. Right? I mean, literally, Peter used to dress himself and go places. In fact, if you were to, you might even just take out walk and put in a word like travel or journey, Right? Another example um, from John. And looking, this is John the Baptist. He sees Jesus. Looking at Jesus as he walked, as he journeyed, traveled, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Again, this word, not, not metaphorical at all. This is just walking, you know, traveling, journeying. Uh, another example. Um, Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly amongst the religious leaders of the Jews. 
but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. Again, just traveling, journeying, right? I think that based on that, we have actually a really good reason to think that whenever John uses this word, he's not just being metaphorical. He, in fact, he actually thinks that we're talking about walking. And so uh, the first thing you note sheets, for John, walking carries a sense of traveling or journeying. Traveling or journeying. And so if you think then about this text where John says we ought to walk as he walked, he's saying we ought to travel or journey the same way that, that Jesus traveled or journeyed, just as he did it, so we ought to be doing it. And there might be a sense of living in that, sure, but there's also a sense of going somewhere, of doing something. And if we think about who Jesus was and what he did, well, we know exactly what he was walking, what he was journeying or traveling to do. If you remember John uh, 3.17, John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sends Jesus on this journey, this journey, this mission, to accomplish the salvation of all people. God gave Jesus a mission. The son has a mission, and that mission is what he's doing as he's traveling and journeying through the world. And so, for Jesus, the second thing in your note sheets, Jesus walks or travels because he's on a mission. And so when we hear in John saying, uh, you ought to walk as Jesus walked, you ought to be on mission as Jesus is on mission. You ought to be traveling, journeying forward as Jesus was traveling and journeying forward. Accomplishing the same thing? Probably not. Um, no one here uh, is the son of God, and so probably not qualified to bear the sins of the world. But doing something. When I think of uh, a mission, I tend to think of Rambo. Um, I, I've never actually seen a Rambo movie, but my idea of what a Rambo movie involves is him like going on this incredible mission to save people or something. Is that what Rambo is about? Does anyone know? Probably. Rambo. Um, I, I also, I, I sort of cast back um, when I'm thinking about mission or journey or accomplishing something, especially in the movies, um, probably my favorite uh, of these is, uh, is uh, Paul. Anybody remember this movie? Cool Hand Luke? Oh man, it's good. You can tell this was made before the year 2000. How? He's smoking, that's right. Heroes don't smoke after the year 2000 in film. Uh, but before that, apparently they always smoke. Because I also think about this guy when I think about a mission. Oh my goodness. He's, got a, he's chomping too. I mean, that's a chariot of some sort. Um, this is from A Fistful of Dollars, that, uh, that, that trilogy. Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, The Good, Bad, The Ugly. I mean, talk about, uh, he doesn't even, I think he has like 10 lines in the whole series. But man, he gets it done. Right? He doesn't have to talk. He, his guns do the talking, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's Clint Eastwood. Um, also, this one I, I think of, oh my gosh. Also, notice he's smoking. Just, just a little theme there. I'm not recommending anyone smoke. It's really bad for you. Uh, but apparently, if you were going to be a hero um, before the year 2000, you had to. So thank goodness things have changed. This is John Wayne. I've never seen this movie, but I'm assuming that in this movie, he was on a mission. He was quiet, taciturn, you know, built to last, strong. You think about um, these, these guys. These guys, they're on, they're on missions, right? You know, Clint Eastwood's liberating the town. Cool Hand Luke is resisting the authorities in the prison and, and leading... If you haven't seen Cool Hand Luke, it's, it's an allegory for Jesus. He, he plays a Christ figure in this movie. And he um, leads his disciples, other prisoners, um, in rebellion against um, the powers that enslave them. 
Um, it, it's it's a fascinating film. You should check it out. But um, and it's also cool when he eats 50 eggs in an hour. He's like, blah, blah, blah. and it's Paul Newman, so it's funny to watch. And then he does this, like like a little Jesus Christ pose. It's incredible. You gotta check it out. Really good movie. Anyway, you're, you're, you're thinking about these people. They're they're always quiet. They're always um, they're always serious. They always get it done, right? And and you start to think, is there something interesting about? These characters, you know, these, these people who are on mission. Is there something cool about them? I, I chose older films. Because one thing that happens is once you start to get into the modern era, heroes in movies start to change a little bit. Now, uh, one of my favorite scenes, uh, your favorite scene probably, I'm sure, when you see a Clint Eastwood movie, it's in every single one of his movies. There's that scene where right after he's done, done a whole bunch of killing, he goes back into his room and he sits down on his bed and he starts to cry a little bit as he's thinking about all the terrible things he's done. Starts to go through some really serious self-doubt. Like he's like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm not sure if, if, I'm, if this is right anymore. I, gosh, maybe I should go into teaching. That seems like a really positive, you know, good thing to do. And maybe I shouldn't be involved. No, absolutely not. These guys never, ever, ever question themselves at all. They are utterly confident. They know fully what their mission is. They are not going to be deterred from it. They're, in fact, one of the things that makes them so compelling as characters is we're sitting there and watching them. We're human beings. And we're like... Wow, I wish I believed in anything as much as that guy believes in what he's doing. Because if I did, I would be the most popular person in the world. Everyone would love me. In fact, when we're telling people what to do, like how to live, how to succeed in life, we're like, just exude confidence. And we're like, well, I'm not confident. Of course not. But if you look like you're confident, people will believe it, and you'll be awesome, right? That's what these movies portray. Interesting, isn't it? that Jesus is portrayed in a very similar way in the Gospels. I mean, think about what Jesus is tasked with doing. Think about how he does it. And think about how many times is Jesus sitting there, he's like, oh man, yeah, God, I know I'm supposed to save the world, um, but I was hoping maybe uh, instead I could go, um, you know, take a vacation to Maui or something. No, that never happens. In fact, the way that Jesus works is he's actually very much like the John Wayne, the Clint Eastwood, the the Paul Newman characters of old. He's utterly convinced, utterly sure of what he's doing. When it comes to his mission, Jesus is steady. He's unwavering. There's no question for him about what he ought to be doing. Uh, This this is uh, one of my favorite verses in Luke. I love this verse. Um, It came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I mean, that is the language of something. It's, it's like, he's like locked on, right? I mean, it's like uh, in Top Gun when they, when they get a lock on the missile and it's like, that's it. The missile is going to blow up that MiG-29. It's the same deal with Jesus. He is locked into Jerusalem. Nothing is going to dissuade him from his mission. He is utterly confident, utterly committed. Similarly, um, this is uh, from Matthew. It's a little bit of a longer text. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The, uh, the, 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 the next thing is not only is he studying unwavering, he's also unstoppable. Like you can't get in Jesus' way. Throughout the Gospels, he's moving through and he's, and he's just swatting aside anyone who stands to get in his way, especially demonic forces, but occasionally, occasionally even his best friend. Uh, in this text, Matthew, uh, in Matthew, we, we see this. Uh, Jesus began to show his disciples that he needed to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. 
He was going to be killed. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like what we were doing until we got to the suffering and killed part. That's no good. He began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This can't happen to you. Let's go to Maui. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. How crazy. This is his best buddy. And he's like, you were my best buddy about two seconds ago. Now when you're getting in the way of my mission, step aside, Satan. If we're thinking about who Jesus is and what he's doing, he looks absolutely, utterly confident, utterly unwavering, utterly unswerving, implacable. He's like the Terminator. He is going to save the world, and there's nothing you can do to get in his way. He is going to win, and he will not quit until he does. And John says, I want you to be on mission the way that he was on mission. I want you to be that same way. I want you to have that same confidence, that same implacability. And that should bring up a question for us. How can people like us become a person like that? What could do it? How could that possibly happen? How could you or I turn into, you know, a hero from a story? I mean, isn't that how it feels? A lot of the time it feels like a hero from a story. He was able to do this incredible thing. And now God is saying, we're supposed to be the same exact way. We're supposed to be doing exactly the same stuff, exactly the same mentality. And we got to ask ourselves, wow, I just don't know if I've got what it takes to do that. I don't know if I could possibly be the kind of person that could have that kind of confidence or or steadiness or unwaveringness. I uh, I have two children. One is five. She tells me she's going to be five and a half on April 6th. So that's going to be a big important day. We're going to have a half birthday probably. No, we won't. I'll just be like, no, it's April 7th. It's not April 6th. I, I wonder a lot of times, you know, as a father, um, and a father of a daughter, daughters specifically, my natural instinct, my natural response is to want to protect them, and snuggle them, and pet them, and love them, treat them like my three and a half pound chihuahua, you know, hold them, care for them. I mean, you, you know what it's like, right? You know, you know what, I mean, it, it, when you see someone who's so fragile, so vulnerable, so young. Your natural instinct is to protect and to care and to love. And I wonder, I wonder, is that really, is that really what we're supposed to be doing? Well, uh, presumably at some point, my goal is to take Alice and Olivia, although Olivia's a bull, I'm not so worried about her, but, but Alice, she, she's tough. I mean, look out. She's going to break some, break some necks before she's done. Uh, Alice, on the other hand, probably going into ballet, not a real competitor. Um, she's, she's a little worried about her, a little worried. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there and thinking, and I'm biased, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think she's gorgeous. And I know that at some point, there's going to be some kid, a male, who's like 17, who also thinks she's gorgeous. And I've been 17, so I know what he's going to be thinking about. And I'm like, oh man. How, so what I, so I've got a plan. Um, what we do with Alice, we just don't let her out of the house. And so, uh, for the, uh, uh, 
so we're just gonna, she's gonna stay in the four walls of the house until she's 18, at which point we're gonna move to, um, Antarctica, and then we'll create an igloo there, and, and she'll, and she'll find, she'll be safe forever, right? That's, that's raising children, that's being responsible with your kids. And I'm, if anything, I'm responsible, right? <laughs> Don't answer that, alright. Or maybe, maybe it's different. Maybe what we're supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, is kind of, you know, carrot and stick with Alice. Carrot and stick. Um, the, the, the carrot these days, if you don't have young children, it's called a blind bag. Um, I was just talking about, oh, there's like three laughter. There's laughter right here with the, kid, the parents of small children. That's great. Uh, for those of you who are not, uh, don't have young children right now, blind bag is basically like baseball cards um, from like the 80s, where you get a pack, right? And uh, you don't know which card is in it. You're hoping that you're getting Rookie of the Year Mark McGuire, but it could be anybody. And so you open it up, and you're like, ooh, neat. And you get your different baseball cards, right? Well, similarly, the blind bag is you're at Target, and you've got three bucks, and it's like your kids are being terrible. And so you're like, here, I'll just give you this if you'll just be quiet. And they're like, oh, we love you. Oh, we love you. And they open it up. It's very surprising, exciting, and there's like a My Little Pony in there, and they're hoping it's Twilight Sparkle, but it, it turns out to be the pink one, whatever, Right? <laughs> And that's okay too, that's good. What, what you're doing is you're giving them things, you're blessing them, right? You're acting, you're treating them with things that you love, you're, 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 you're showing them that you're, you care about them, and as a result, they begin to trust you, they're like, yeah, daddy, you're the best, that's great. Uh, really, it's mom who does that, because I don't shop, and I don't give them stuff. Um, they don't, so they're, they, they, they start to trust and love you, and then, you also have a little bit of the stick here. You also know that sometimes Alice is going to want to do something that's really dumb, Sometimes she is going to want to jump on the couch right in front of that coffee table. And when she does that, she's very likely to get hurt. Now, I have two options. One, I can swoop in, you know, don't do it, honey. I love you. I'm going to protect you. We're going to go off to Antarctica. Those boys will never touch you. Or I can be like, okay, I told you not to do it, but feel free. It wasn't Alice. Alice was good, she, but Olivia, Olivia ignores us, so she did. She, uh, she jumped on the couch, and then she slipped, and she smacked her head right on the corner of the, uh, of the, of the coffee table. It was bleeding out of her mouth or something. Um, I, I left because I didn't want to deal with it, but Aaron took care of it. Thank goodness. Um, you know what? Olivia doesn't jump really close to the coffee table anymore. She's, she's learned a lesson, you know, even, even earthworms can be taught to fear pain, you know. <laughs> so, so she, 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 she's made some strides in her, in her education, right? And notice the parenting that went on there. It was like, well, instead of being like, hey, um, no, it was like, alright, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you make some mistakes. I'm gonna, hopefully, I hope they're not bad. I'm gonna pray that they're not that bad, but I'm gonna take a risk here. I'm going to let you get hurt. I'm going to let you step out. I'm going to let you adventure a little bit. I'm going to let you see what happens when you get outside the safety zones and you start disobeying. And think, I'm going to let you do that. And I hope, I hope, I hope that in the aftermath we can talk about why that went so badly and that you can learn and grow because what's my ultimate goal for my daughters? I want them to be strong, independent women. I want them to be the kinds of people who are able to not have to have me hovering over them all the time and protecting them. Instead, I want them to be the kinds of people who make good choices, who learn from their mistakes, who trust God's word and not their own feelings or the feelings of their peers. 
And in order to do that, I've got to train them in a different way, a way that's not just let's make you feel good all the time, although there is that too. It's so interesting, isn't it, that, you know, those movies with John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, and you never find out where those guys come from, do you? They just show up on the scene, and suddenly they're these amazing warriors or whatever, confident in their mission. It's like they just, like, beam down to earth, and suddenly they were like, I'm going to save those people in that town, and that's what they do. That's sort of how they're presented to us. When in fact the reality is in order to become a person like that, you have to be trained in a very specific way. You can't have your hand held all the way along. If you think that that's the way that we train Navy SEALs, you're crazy. No, you have to be pushed and, 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 and moved along and sometimes hurt, sometimes drawn, and sometimes you're going to be scared. And that's the only way you can go from right here to right there if you're going to be the kind of person who is able to accomplish a challenging mission. Jesus, on his mission, knew that he was going to be tortured to death. I don't know what your mission is, but if we're being called to journey as he journeyed, it might not be easy. It might be hard. There might be times that are really, really challenging, really lonely really painful. And what is it going to take to make you the kind of person who can finish the job? Well, just as I am trying to do with my own daughters, God, in his acts of love to us, brings us along and builds us up and allows us to go through things that are challenging and scary because, because God believes that we are all going to become people who can finish the mission. That's why he operates the way he operates. Because he wants to make you into a person like that. The question then is, what's the mission? What's the job? Why are you here? I've been thinking about this a lot um, recently because uh, for those of you who know me, I wasn't um, intending to be um, a pastor. That was not the kind of the career path that I was on um, because uh, the, one of the tough things about this job is tons of people involved. Um, apparently, uh, to, the churches are composed of people, and that scares me a little bit. Um, and so I was thinking of some place I wanted to go do something where I wouldn't have to deal with that. And what was so crazy is first I found out that I really like people, um, or at least you. <laughs> I can't. I can't, I can't speak for, you know, everybody else, but I really enjoy you all. Um, and so it's actually been a huge joy, a huge, um, uh, it's been really great, and I, and I love being with you, and I really do. Um, I, I really believe this is a vocation. But because I didn't have this on the radar, I never thought about what my ministry would look like, what my mission was. I assumed my mission was going to be to go train seminarians, train future pastors, teach, you know, college or master's courses. That's what I was going to do. That was where I was headed. And so suddenly I'm stuck in this, you know, stuck, blessed, blessed to be with you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm trying to figure out what's the, what's the mission. And I'm going to be honest with you, right now, uh, I've been praying a lot about this. And right on my heart, I really believe that this church has been called to reach people who are skeptical. Reach people who, they've tried the whole church thing, it's terrible. Moving on. Uh, people who, you know, they love physics, and so the Bible seems silly. Uh, people who 
like my friend that I talked about at the beginning, agnostic maybe a little bit. I really believe that we are called to reach out because if you look around here in this place, we are in an increasingly post-Christian culture and in a place where people are increasingly just absolutely unconnected to the Bible, to, to Christ, to anything. And, and I believe that we have been called to find those people and to, to show them that there is something real out there, that they are truly loved, that God is real, and to address their issues and concerns and bring them. I want to see people come to faith in this place. I want to see us be a part of bringing people to Jesus for the first time or bringing them back after they gave up. I want to see that here. And I want to see us baptizing people. I want people to be like, you know what? I didn't think there was anything. And sometimes I still feel like this Jesus guy is crazy, but if he's wrong, I don't want to be right, and I'm going to follow him. That's what I see for us and for this place in the future. I see us being the hands and feet of Christ, walking, journeying as he journeyed. He journeyed to save the world. I believe we're going to be journeying to, to bring the light of the gospel to the people around this area. And I'm asking you right now as a church to partner with me in that and think right now, are we the kinds of people who can get the job done? Are we ready for this mission? Because there are going to be hard times. There are going to be challenging times. Are we the sort of people who are steady, implacable, unwavering, unstoppable in our mission to complete what God has set before us? And if not, then we need to start attending deeply to the way that he has loved us and blessed us and is bringing us along. In that, we will learn to trust him, have the radical trust. Think, friends. You are being crucified. What kind of faith must you have in the Father to weather that experience? Jesus is characterized by radical trust. We've got to have that radical trust as we move forward. And the only way we're going to get it is if we come to know God, if we see his acts of love towards us, recognize them for what they are, and love the saints. If we continue building ourselves up in that through the power of the Spirit, then we will be ready. We will be ready to complete our mission. I believe that's Coast Bible Church. My question is, do you know what that is for you and for your families? Do you know what you have been called here to do? If you do, wonderful. How's it going? Are you steady? Are you unstoppable? Or are you constantly being turned off the path to move to some other thing? Do you know what you have been called to do? Do you know what your mission is? Are you on a journey just as he was on a journey? If not, we need to talk about that. Because if you're not, then if you're being really honest, your life has no meaning. Think about this. If you do not have a mission from God, then there is nothing eternal, nothing that lasts, nothing in your life that will go forever. So you must be looking for that. You must find it. And then you must decide whether or not you are going to be steady enough. You are going to be unstoppable enough to get the mission done. I know, it sounds like, oh, this is a lot of work I've got to do. Got to get out there, got to be committed, got to do these things. No. If you think for a second that you're going to be able to do this because, you know, you work harder or you think better or you da 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 that, no, wrong. The way this works is by grace. The way this works is by faith. This is the miracle of, Christian, of Christianity. This is the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from you 
figuring it out on your own. It comes from you just trusting him and then watching and seeing what happens. That's how life is built in, your, in you. That's how forgiveness of sins happens. That's how you become an unstoppable, steady, unwavering disciple of Christ on a mission from God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you um, kindle in our hearts a thirst for mission, a desire to be a part of your plan, your work, your kingdom. I pray, God, that you prepare hearts now here um, in Orange County, South County, people who, who don't believe, who've got better things, who are distracted, who prepare their hearts, God, and find, give us ways to go and seek them out and to bring them to you. God, I pray for every person, every family here that you will settle in hearts and minds a mission, something that they can do to participate with you in your work, building your kingdom on this earth. God, I pray most that we will live by faith, that our power will not be our power, but the Spirit's power, your power, that people will look and see broken pots who are nevertheless made whole in you and powerful in you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way he inaugurates this fight in us. He shows us what mission looks like and gives us the strength and the power to complete it. In his name we pray, amen.